if it's not the human trentipede. How you doing, man? Yeah. Oh, what's up, dude? I Stay six feet I, away. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you don't have to come any closer. I wouldn't worry about it. Nice mask. Oh, thanks, man. Harry Potter. It's crazy to be in this old Speak All Evil studio again, man. This place got dusty during quarantine. Much housekeeping, I guess. I was thinking that since we are back in the studio and everything, and we're still trying to social distance, we can't really be too safe. So I brought this. Oh, you see Nico? It's nice. uh, hydrochloroquine. Oh, I thought shit. maybe we could take it so we wouldn't get the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, I think you're supposed to take disinfectant. You know what I mean? I, I, oh, yeah, yeah, that, I think yeah, I guess, uh, I guess disinfectant w- would work, too. Just mix it up. Make, mix, make cocktails. Oh, yeah. Drug cocktails. You know what I mean? Yeah, perfect. We'll, we'll take both, and then we'll be double safe. No worries. Safety cool. first. So we'll just, uh, we'll just open these pills. Yeah, we'll nice. take these, and then All right. I guess we'll just wash it down yeah, with the, uh, disinfectant and yeah, see yeah. how that works. Bottoms up. Cool. Yeah, sick. I, I'm feeling good about this. I think... We're being really responsible right now. I feel like I got two seatbelts on right now. <sighs> oh my god, oh, that tastes bad. Woo! Oh, that's good. Are bit. you are you feeling anything? I, th- I think I feel. I think I'm feeling <sighs> safer. Uh, I don't know though. <clears throat> Man, that's got a bite. <clears throat> I feel like my fingernails are moving. Uh, Do you feel kind of like like your fingernails and your hair like you can you can feel tracers, them bro. growing? Can you stop blinking? You're blinking. Yeah, you're, you're like blinking. Oh, listen on. Listen on, bro. Don't 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 blink with your mouth either. Come, just that, come sit down. With it's it's kind of making me feel. I sit down. You sit down. I, I don't feel so good. Are you sure this is? Are you sure this is safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course. I mean, it's, it's the president. I'm <laughs> Like, I'm not feeling presidential. Your forehead, like, goes on forever. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I am Dr. Herbert West. I am deep down in my underground laboratory. The heat is finally penetrated. The bodies are starting to stink a little bit down here. I got to tell you, I got Kevin, Kat, and Dave on the line. Hey, guys. Hi. Howdy. How's it going? How about that heat? Well, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's not a great time to be doing experiments on corpses i can tell you that this week we're talking drugs <laughs> Whoa. nice <laughs> we're talking recreational medicinal ritual experimental you name it drugs have uh, a pretty big role in evil movies disturbed movies the first movie we're talking about this week is reanimator 1985 classic directed by Stuart Gordon. This is on Shutter right now. You can also rent it for pretty cheap on a couple of the top platforms, Google. Um, but if you get your Shutter subscription, you can see Reanimator 
This is a classic to me. This was a formative influence. I would call Reanimator a good old-fashioned splatter pick. I think the splatter is sort of a genre of its own. I'm not sure I have the most concise definition, but if you start back at something like Blood Feast, I think was 1963, Reanimator very much in the tradition of Blood Feast. There's a medical angle. There's just a lot of limbs being cut and sawed. There's a lot of punctures of skin, flesh, knives, um, syringes, little beakers of, of steaming water, a steaming solution and whatnot, and a lot of blood. Uh, I hadn't seen this since probably like 2008, and I absolutely loved it. Great watch for anyone. Barbara Crampton, who is sort of the female uh, Bruce Campbell, I guess I would say. She's kind of <laughs> like made a whole late career living just on having been in a bunch of these movies like Reanimator. Something that Stuart Gordon, the director, did a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations, uh, and I would use that term pretty loosely. Barbara Crampton in a number of those, and in this one. Oh, <laughs> You want me to set it up a little bit? Okay, so, I mean, Reanimator, <laughs> bringing, bodies, bringing dead bodies back to life. I mean, if you just look at the poster, you see a guy with a, a hypodermic needle filled with glowing green fluid that nobody ever... Serum. Yeah, the serum. You're right. Serum. I, li- I like serum. The reagents. <laughs> I prefer reagents. I prefer green glowing liquid. Kevin, why, Kevin why, don't you, why don't you set this up for us? So Reanimator. I hadn't seen this in a long time. Probably a lot longer than you, Trent. Probably mid-late 90s. So Herbert West, played by Jeffrey Combs, is a med student who thinks he has invented a reagent that will reanimate dead bodies. And basically the movie is his obsession with proving that this reagent works and the insane shit that happens as he obsessively tries to prove it right. Very loosely based, but it was based on Lovecraft's 1922 serial novelette Herbert West Reanimator. And that actually carried through to the sequel, which I don't know if you guys caught Bride of Reanimator. I think it's free on Prime right now. It's on Shutter A very worthy sequel, I think. That also carries through Lovecraft's work. And then the third movie in in the original trilogy is Beyond Reanimator, titled as such because they then work beyond Lovecraft's uh, original source material. Beyond Reanimator, I found barely watchable, to be honest. But this one, you know, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack. I think it holds up very, very well. I actually watched it several times. It's a brisk, like, 87 minutes long. It just, it's its over before you know it. It's got one of the best opening sequences, a total homage to Psycho, by the way. Richard Band did the music, purposely ripped off Bernard Herrmann, who was our, our homie Hitchcock's frequent collaborator. And it's got the best ending sequence when it fades to black and all you see is the plunger of the green liquid. And it disappears. Mm -hmm. And then you hear Barbara Crampton's amazing scream. She has so many good screams in this movie. I dig this movie. We we can dig into some of the maybe issues that some of us might have with it. But overall, very worthy cult status. Definitely go watch this flick. Yeah, I had never seen this one. I feel like I was waiting. I'd always heard about it. Obviously, it's a cult classic. And I was just waiting. I thought it was fun. I mean, it didn't... It obviously didn't take itself too seriously. Maybe... Back in 19, you know, 85 it did, but 
it seemed very, you know, they're not going for you to believe what's actually happening on screen. Like, you don't believe that some guy's going to move into his roommate's, you know, house and immediately kill his cat and be like, what was the problem? I don't understand. Like, it was dead when I found it. Yeah. It got its head stuck in a jar. Like, no, it didn't. What jars are lying around? I thought, I think it had a really good villain because you think it's going to be... Um, you know, Herbert West, you hear his name a thousand fucking times in this movie. You think it's going to be him. He's like the creepy villain, evil doctor. But then turns out to be this mega creep doctor who's like older and has been stalking this woman for her entire life and collecting her hair and samples or whatever. And then, you know, takes a sinister turn with some head, if you know what I mean. Oh, too soon. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's, that scene was interesting. I couldn't wait to see how that ended, but I thought I thought it was fun. I would watch it again. I'd watch it a few more times. I hadn't seen it in forever, and I think I'd seen it on TV just playing, and it looked a little, like, campy to me just on my peripheral viewing of it. But um, the difference between, like, a zombie movie where there's usually some sort of scientist involved, and then they make the zombies, and it's no longer their responsibility. You get it from some random people are just going about their day and they encounter these zombies. The mad scientist like conceit is cool because it's the scientist trying to like contain this and he's like addicted to, to playing God. Um, and this, this actually reminded me of an old movie from the sixties called the brain that wouldn't die. Has anyone ever seen the brain that (laughs) wouldn't die? Her brain kept alive by experimental science by a man whose abnormal passions inspired him to try the impossible. I brought her back. Uh, it's another of these, like, uh, extracted, decapitated heads uh, running the show at different points. And I always like that, uh, the person that's, like, so smart uh, that they just end up existing as just a head. Kind of like the, the Leprechaun 4, homie. Um, <laughs> Ooh, it's like the howling wolf outside my, outside my window. Um, but speaking of you know werewolves and stuff like that, you know the fifties, and you, you go back to the stories like uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde and Frankenstein. Like this is very much like Frankenstein. They they obviously knew that because they did uh, Bride of Reanimator after. But it's like you know it's the contemporary model for like dark comedic splatter films. And I, and I like that the, the drugs in this are, I like that it's a serum, and I like that it's, you know, it's, it's those kind of drugs. It's not like recreational drugs uh, or even like these weird black magic voodoo drugs. It's just this lab. And what's the difference between a laboratory and a laboratory? Does anyone know? Britain. It's a, I, be, I believe it's just pronunciation. I was actually looking into that myself because in this movie, when I think it's uh, Dr. Hill, is it Dr. Hill or someone else when they say, oh, you've got quite a laboratory here. Right. Dr. Hill. I think that's just a regional pronunciation. Fancier. Makes you yeah. sound smarter. Yeah. It's like when you call a, call a bathroom a, a lavatory. Yeah. Amateurs have, you know, laboratories. I have a laboratory. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you talked about the, the bad guy, Dr. Carl Hill. He is a fantastic bad guy. And that role was actually, I believe, written for Christopher Lloyd, and uh, he turned it down. So 
Hill was played by David Gale. I thought that was John Kerry. <laughs> right, good call. <laughs> Probably one of the, the seminal scenes of this movie is, is the head scene. In more ways than one. David Gale's wife, during the first viewing that they all got together to watch the movie, she left the room screaming at him, how could you, David? And then divorced him. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> how could you, David? How could you, David? It's ring in my ear. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, you've heard that before. <laughs> I have. <laughs> you know, I'll give these guys a lot of credit because uh, they were like addicted to, you know, advancing their their field and making the serum, and they're these hungry scientists. Uh, where now I feel like you know, it, scientists are, are more addicted to just making money at big pharma, and they just they copy like our street drugs. Right. And then they sell them back to us with, you know, taxes and charges on them and stuff. These guys were actually legit mad scientists who are just like so driven and ambitious. I like these dudes. Yeah, that was something that I noticed. Um, there's there's a real there's a like mid 80s horror value in this movie, like real values, because Dr. Carl Hill he just wants to be famous. And I feel like that's something that runs through a lot of these movies from the era. If you just want to be famous and you want to get recognition, you're the bad guy. You know, that's, that's like, um, it used to be unseemly to wear ambition on one's sleeve, you know? I mean, saying that someone was ambitious would almost be a, a backhanded compliment or would even be an insult if they're too ambitious. And certainly... You know, over my life, I, I try to not be, you know, too ambitious. I think I've succeeded in that regard. But I, I really appreciated that the, the true believer, you might call the madman, his ambition, if he has any, is, is for the work and not the swaggering, primping Dr. Hill who just wants the notoriety. I mean, I think that's why we're here. You know, we're talking about drugs. I think that the, the serum or the reagent isn't necessarily the only drug in this movie. I mean, when you talk about drugs, you have to talk about addiction. And Her Herbert West clearly is completely addicted to this concept of, of the reagent and bringing dead things back to life and playing God. You know, we haven't even talked about Bruce Abbott, who plays Dr. Dan Kane, who is Combs' unwitting uh, sidekick, you know, by, by the middle of the movie. And, you know, the, the movie starts with, with him just obsessively trying to resuscitate somebody who is quite clearly gone. So he clearly has this addiction to bringing people back to life or saving lives. And, you know, part of the camp almost is how this guy, Dan Kane, stays by Combs through the entire movie after one ridiculous thing after another happens um, is one of the almost fascinating things that with most movies I wouldn't watch it with any sort of like I'm not buying this like there's no way but somehow these two buffoons are like a match made in heaven and they totally sell you for all 90 minutes that yep they're definitely destined to you know be together throughout the course of, of whatever is going to happen I thought it was a little bit romantic yeah I think that there is a little bit of a romantic subtext between Dr. Herbert West and Dan Kane. It's like, why is this guy? I don't know. It wasn't strictly professional, and I wouldn't say it was exactly social. I think there was a little more going on there. 
yeah, there was a lot more uh, there was a lot more nudity than I had remembered in this movie. I was gonna I was gonna whip it out, you know, in front of the family and be like, hey, let's watch. I I love this movie back in the day. Let's check it out. And some and sometimes I never know if like that's why I loved it because like you know like I was a twelve year old prepubescent boy. Um, so maybe that's why I loved it the first time. This time I love. I just thought it was great. I thought it was so zany. It it totally falls into like the Evil Dead, the early, the first and second Evil Deads. The gore is amazing in this. I, I thought the gore was great. Yeah, just yeah. like the eyeballs exploding. That was like right off the bat. It's like, <laughs> ping, ping. It's like oh, okay. I, I really appreciate it. Imagine like somebody rents your basement, kind of like I'm doing. Um, and then your, your cat goes missing. And then you find your cat in their mini fridge. And this is a discussion. Like they really yeah. give him every chance to explain, you know, well, you got our cat is apparently dead in your mini fridge and that's not an automatic eviction yeah he's like well you really shouldn't be in my room i thought it was renting a private room dan hey you said the, <laughs> the cat got his head stuck in a jar and suffocated <laughs> you're out of there I, I think you're out you are out you are definitely out right there there's no yeah. explanation for why your cat our cat is in your mini fridge are you guys ever going to apologize to me for saying that horror movies rarely kill pets are you ever going to do that? I mean, that was an early episode. And it's literally every single movie the pet gets I didn't it. Say that. Gentlemen. I I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. If you want to address this now, I I will say this. I think that it's not that it never happens. It's that you know that you are in the hands of somebody who isn't going to have much um they're they're not going to be hesitant to go as far as possible once they've killed the pet i feel like that's a sign that this is a hardcore horror movie i mean the pet is a liability for these people you know i mean it's it's the murder whistle it's the alarming like oh my god i'm barking at the apparition the ghost or the intruder or whatever it is like you got to get the pet out of there quick because He's, he gives everything away, or she gives everything away. <laughs> well, he, he said it was already dead, and then I, I think when, when Rufus comes back to life is one of my favorite scenes in any old-school horror movie when the cat on the table is injected with a serum and starts, starts squealing. It's really something. Kevin had mentioned uh, that Stuart Gordon had done, or the, or the other guy had done, Re- Return of the Living Dead. Three. Two? Oh, three, but, it, but in one... One, they have the taxidermy shop where the cats, the half cats, the half half taxidermy cats. I just watched that last night. So so Reanimator reminded me a ton of Return of the Living Dead and made me immediately go watch it. And I didn't realize the two movies came out the same year. So the gurney that they're using in Reanimator to push the bodies around is the same gurney that Dan O'Bannon used in Return of the Living Dead because they were basically making these movies around the same time, so they borrowed the prop from him. I also never realized that Dan O'Bannon wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Dan O'Bannon's the guy that fucking wrote Alien for Ridley Scott. Hmm. But but they're super similar movies in terms of how fun they are. I would definitely say Reanimator is, is sitting higher up on the mountain, but Return of the Living Dead is legit. 
Oh yeah, I've always liked that. It's 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 another one. It's the same exact genre as this movie, and I feel like there was a certain golden age of horror where it was just super dark, super funny though. It's so dark that it's like, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. But there's also the morality underneath everything that you know. People always think that horror movies lack ethics and morals, but I feel like the underlying thing is always kind of like, yeah, don't do this stupid or don't get power hungry or greedy or whatever. Not only was uh, Dr. Carl Hill shown to be immoral in his ambitions, but he's the one who, even after his head is removed, his body fondles the naked breasts for uh, quite a while. Oh my god. It's a lot of breast fondling. So long. Way long. I knew that actress from like uh, Days of Our Lives and like Guiding Light when my mom used to watch it. And I forgot that it was the same actress. So it was kind of disturbing. I felt like I was like watching one of my mom's (laughs) friends in a movie. She was in uh, Chopping Mall, which is, <laughs> yes. I think that's on Oh yeah, that's on yep. Shutter. But more recently, she was in that flick, You're Next. She was the yeah. mom. Oh, she uh, was. And then, oh. did you guys ever see uh, We Are Still oh. Here? That's another like modern one that she's in. Oh, no, I don't think I... It's a good one. I don't think I saw that one. I liked, uh, I liked Bride of Reanimator, and I, I liked how it was made five years after Reanimator, but... It does the classic horror sequel 80s thing where it picks up only 18 months later. So, like, the end of one movie, the sequel, they don't try to ever do anything like, you know, a next generation or, like, no, it's just 18 months later, here's the rest of the story. And I guess you use some of the Lovecraft story originally, too, but the, the boys are still together, the primary relationship of the film is intact, and they're going on to bigger and better things. Pretty good. And that's on Shudder, too. Also, uh, yeah, I, I would I would recommend before we move on, Stuart Gordon. Have, have you guys ever seen Stuck? Yeah, I posted on our Instagram about Stuck when he died. The movie Stuck with Mina Suvari. Yeah. That is on Shutter, and I think it might even be on Prime too. It's out there. But 2007, Stuck is an incredible movie. Yeah, sleeper. Uh, especially for a, a B movie maker late in his career to make that movie, you definitely want to see Stuck. You want a joint? No. No. I've decided to switch. What do you mean? I'm through with pot. Hey, what's happened to you? I'm into booze now. Booze? What for? Hey. It's legal, and it keeps my parents off my back. I don't think there's any difference. Who are you? I am the great brain. My drug pick for this week was the 2019 Ari Aster Midsomar. A couple. Don't say it like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How am I supposed to say it? Midsomar? You say midsummer? It's spelled. It's not summer. It's spelled. Midsummer. Midsummer. We're going up there midsummer. <laughs> I was yeah. going to ask you guys how to say it. It's unclear. I think that I, don't I think know it's, it's midsummer. Midsummer. Am I wrong? Or is it midsummer? I think midsummer is fine. And moving but on. 
Moving on from our impeccable pronunciation of this film's name, this movie is about a couple and a group of their friends who travel to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled midsummer festival. But what begins as an idyllic retreat takes a sinister turn. I had never seen this movie. Holy shit. I loved it so much, you guys. This was like my favorite movie ever, I think, right now. I watched it twice. I did what you guys told me to. I watched it once, was flabbergasted, yeah, and I then it. I watched it again to take notes. The be- Just the beginning. The beginning scene of like this poor girl's family tragedy that happens is just... It, it like knocks you down right at the knees. Like as soon as this movie starts, it sets you up to know that you're about to get mind fucked for this fucking movie. I think the biggest thing I took from it is just like the empathy. I think that's like the one of the biggest themes I saw in the movie is not only are you feeling empathy for this character, but then a lot of times within, you know, the um the Swedish towns or communities rituals, there's a lot of empathy involved in that as well. Like people will be like moaning to like um kind of emulate what the person that is going through something is feeling like did you guys catch on to that like obviously oh, yeah. you caught on to that yeah mm. but like you know and it's just like heartbreaking and then you feel i don't know i didn't hate these people at the end i was like fuck yeah these people got it going on like i'll draw it i'll be can i be the may queen can i be the may queen of the podcast you're the may queen of just, the week cat thank you oh you guys um <laughs> we're gonna podcast no one can podcast anymore the last one standing um but i fucking loved queen. it i thought it was so i mean it was beautiful just the you know visually and then the sound not just the soundtrack but the sound design you know i was finding myself turning the movie up so i could hear the dialogue and then something would fucking come in and be like and i'm I'm like, oh, okay. So I was just like so tense for all of it, but I didn't hate it. I feel like most of the time when I'm stressed out during a movie, I'm pissed that you guys made me watch it. But this time I did it to myself and it turned out great and I loved it. Yeah, uh, this this was one of my favorite movies when it came out. I was blown away by it. Um, I got like entranced in this super trippy atmosphere right away. And Ari Aster, uh, who did hereditary he has this super profound dark weight to all his movies it's like drama that gives the most heart-wrenching drama a run for its money and I, I like that about his movies but this one unlike hereditary where you never get a release from that at all this one I actually thought was pretty funny because the dialogue, like when they're tripping, you know, like, was so classic. But he's just like, I'm going to lay down now. You, you should lay down. You guys should lay down. He oh, was it so feels relatable. So cool. Lay down. Oh, my God. It feels so cool to lay down. And, you know, obviously the dynamic between uh, the couple. I think the, the reason why you like it, uh, what it even though it's so dark, is there's some vengeance, some... It's like not really well deserved vengeance, but he really nickel and dimes you the whole movie with 
just making you hate this character and and this social awkwardness like when your relationship gets to that point where there's just this awkwardness in every exchange and there's nothing you can do about it and there's no turning back from that point he did that with the family's tension in hereditary and he did that in this and the broad daylight is absolutely gorgeous and the, the effects were beautiful and subtle and it's a great movie it's one of my favorites yeah well i um i have a little bit of an announcement to make do <laughs> this publicly i have a lot i i've I, I panned this movie when i saw it i saw it at the movies last year i think maybe it was about my expectations because i loved hereditary so much and i went to see this and i don't know i didn't like it i think it benefits greatly from a second home viewing i loved it the second time i appreciated it much more i'm a big fan of this movie now i don't you know i certainly have problems with it but i really liked it and i'm not sure what my problem was the first time other than i just my expectations were so high that this movie is it is subversive in a lot of ways ariaster really takes his time I have conflicting feelings about the characters, but all in all, I, I love the daylight horror. I didn't think it was that much of a ripoff of The Wicker Man the second time. The first time I did, I was like, oh, so you just made The Wicker Man, but you made it twice as long? Sweet. But I, di I didn't feel like that. I, th I thought <laughs> I, I could see it much more as a sort of a tribute to some of that stuff and almost taking that to another level, like doing doing one better with this Swedish cult movie so i was glad that we um that we chose this movie this week because it was a really fun really fun second watch and, and i see it in a new light now and that and that happens a lot um you know sometimes i don't get something right away and i have to see it again sometimes i'm not as impressed the second time and i think well boy i, I was in a generous mood that day and i don't really like this one that much so <laughs> that's um part of the fun of of what we're doing is that these things get uh, second, sometimes third looks, and perspective can change a little bit. So I think I think when we go camping, we probably should uh, all agree right now that we're going to do uh, Atastupa. Is everyone down yes. for that? Let's do Atastupa. <laughs> okay. Yes. So that'd be yeah. me. I, I think that would be me of this group. You're the oldest. Yeah. I'm going to die. I'll bring the club. <laughs> Just in just I'm in just, case you can't get it done, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the top of Bradbury Mountain in Pownall, Maine. I'm gonna go to the very top of Bradbury Mountain. I'm gonna hurl myself off the side, and I probably won't Perfect. finish the job. Kevin, you you're more than welcome. Bring the mallet right over to. I got you, bro. I got your back. Just remember, the first person does it right, and they just do a, a swan dive. The yeah. second dude fucks it up mm -hmm. by trying Very to do a pencil dive. Okay? Just You can't remember. pencil dive suicide. <laughs> yes. We, we all can't be Michael Phelps. I understand that. But just remember the way that you the way that you jump is incredibly important to your Head fulfillment first. of the Atastupa. No, look. This, um, I think one of the things about this movie that I loved reading about is Ari Aster was going through a horrible breakup when he received the treatment for this movie. So this wasn't an Ari Aster original idea. He got the treatment. They actually pegged him to f like flesh out the script and do the research the research and everything. I almost said research, laboratory. He was going to do the research. So he was going through this terrible breakup and what he wanted to do was make like a folk horror movie rooted about a breakup 
like those cliche 90s movies where like the chick is always with the wrong guy. So when you watch it knowing that, it brings this whole different layer to this movie. And I think that's some of the levity that, that this movie has. Because not only, like a couple of you have mentioned, it's a terrifying movie. It's tense, but it's all most of the, the scary things are in broad, beautifully lit daylight scenes. But then you have mm-hmm. Will Poulter, who plays Mark, who is your typical smartass, you know, college kid. You've got <laughs> William Jackson Harper as Josh, who's the nerdy guy doing his thesis. Oh, I came to this, you know, commune to do my thesis. Jack Rayner plays Christian, who was the questionable douche boyfriend. And then the absolute star of the show is Florence Pugh as Danny. Then you have, I guess, what could be called our protagonist. You have Wilhelm Blomgren as Pell who is the person that was going to college with them, who is a part of this community and brings them home. But watching it from, you know, through the lens of this is sort of like a a 90s rom-com in the world of a folk cult horror movie is brilliant. And that's what Astro was trying to get at. And then the other thing, and I don't know if you caught this, Trent, we were talking about this when we uh, went to see Basket Case at Midnight at the Drive-In, which was amazing. This movie is really, Cat hit on it with the empathy line. This movie isn't necessarily a cult film. It's not necessarily even a breakup movie. It's about finding family. The movie starts with a tragedy where Danny, our lead character, loses her family. The rest of the movie, for better or for worse, is her discovering this new family. I love the scenes of her in the beginning of this movie having panic attacks all on her own. You know, there's that brilliant scene where Pell upsets her in the apartment unintentionally. She's walking into the bathroom to have a panic attack. And then it cuts right into her walking into the airplane bathroom to have a mm-hmm. panic attack. And then she's tripping and she has the panic attack by herself. You know, you, she looks, goes into an outhouse and looks in the mirror while she's tripping on shrooms in a strange land. Don't fucking do that, people. By yeah, the I end do. of the... <laughs> But by the end of the movie, she has discovered what you were talking about, Kat, all these people to have these panic attacks with her. And it's almost healing her. You know, they're breathing Mm -hmm. with her. They're screaming with her. They're just literally throwing their entire body and being into her reactions and and validating them. And I think this movie has one of the best covers ever because most of the, the covers that you see of this movie when you find the thumbnail is that picture of her at the very end of the movie. There's literally only two times in this movie that I could find when she smiled. One was during the May Queen ceremony when she was dancing, and the second one was at the very fucking end, which is not necessarily a great situation. But that smile to me, I don't know if it was vengeance or vindication. To me, it was like, okay, I'm home. I like how Ari Aster always has like a an auditory thing to like, disarm you during the movie like in hereditary it was the mm. and then in this movie it was like this like like fast like yeah. lamaze <gasps> breath like a single <gasps> lamaze breath and it was like every once in a while someone would do it and it would just like kind of like be like this disarming and scary yeah i didn't notice that until um when you watch it with subtitles on it says every time someone takes a sharp inhaled breath, and you're like, man, yeah. they're really mm-hmm. doing a lot of sharp breathing in this movie. <laughs> I think it would really behoove people who don't watch movies with subtitles to watch this one with subtitles, because there are a lot of things I feel like I wouldn't have picked up, like that woman yeah. screaming, like where they show everyone's reaction. Like, there's no way I would have heard that if I didn't have the subtitles. Yeah, good on. point. So, and it's all about the 
yeah i think it's all about like how he makes everything so quiet like you have to like lean in so you can hear it and then he comes in with like the whatever the instrument like the wah instrument you guys know you guys are musicians <laughs> i don't know what the right? why is <laughs> That's the coolest thing about like, horror movie soundtracks is the instruments are like household items. Yeah, yeah it's probably like a like a old saw, like a <laughs> you know, like sword. when there's like I thunder. listen to a lot of uh, YouTube reviews of this, podcasts, everything. Everybody fails to mention that it literally has the greatest recorder band of all time. <laughs> like nobody thought to mention the fact that you know there are these three people playing recorders and it sounds like an entire fucking symphony come on people those guys are pretty good true. yeah pretty yeah. good recorder uh, <laughs> i don't know if i would call christian the character christian questionable he is uh terrible hate i mean it's almost he's okay. almost too oh, bad like i think it's almost overdone like how much can you hate this guy by the end of this movie but it was pretty realistic i thought that I guess that level of annoyance, like, I could totally... I, I know that guy. I, I would be annoyed. I'd be like, this guy is fucking brutal. And I thought even Danny, even though she's... I guess she's pretty pure of heart in this very realistic portrayal to me and a very interesting casting. I think not going with, like, the more traditional Hollywood lead actress in this paid off because I think there's something about Danny that is very relatable like i could definitely imagine being on a trip where she was invited because she was supposed to say no which never do that by the way never invite <laughs> someone if you're trying to break up with someone i know it's hard and you think that like just doing the token gesture of inviting them on the trip they're going to say no you should go have fun with your friends no they're not mm -hmm. they're going to say yes never do that but i could see myself being on a trip with her kind of annoying danny fucking crying again why is she here you know, that I thought that was like a little bit relatable. Well, I mean, her her, her whole family just died. Yeah, I know. I so mean, why is she on the trip? Yeah, what you can take a break from like doing, you know, <laughs> pig stands with your homies to like, you know, give her a second. Oh, she, Jeez. Maybe rub She's her back for a it's, second. It's more like Jesus. It you know, it was a bad idea for this whole trip was a bad idea. Yeah, oh, you he think? He yeah, obviously. Stayed, he should have stayed home with Danny, but instead. Let me get this. No, here's the thing. So so I'm not saying that Christian's not a douche, but I want to play devil's advocate here. Because one, oh, the, the level of doucheness, I don't necessarily think evens out to what happens to Christian. <laughs> it felt good, though. It felt good. I was fine with I'm, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> disagreeing. I'm just, I, w I want to open this up for debate. Other than some really bad gaslighting scenes of Danny in the beginning where he got her to say sorry for shit that he clearly oh, should man, have that's been so painful to communicative watch. of, I, I think Christian's yeah. biggest sin is just the fact that he didn't have the balls to break up with her. Like, why carry mm -hmm. it on this long, man? And I, I understand her family just went through this terrible tragedy. That's what happens. You can never break up because if it's not a family tragedy, it's Christmas. So that's what happens. You get stuck in this thing you can never get out. oh you got the trip coming up now can't break up now we got the trip there's always some reason and i thought it was a very realistic portrayal like dave said that awkwardness that just becomes mm -hmm. this, like ice in the air it's just awful and there's no way out it's like as a character he's not the worst character you've ever seen in a horror movie by any means but he's probably like the worst person you've met in real life and so I feel like that extraness where you're like, oh, I fucking know that guy. That guy's a piece of shit. 
and then you see him burn and you're like okay that's fine that's the thing about this movie uh it's again we talk about the movies that wear their plot on their sleeve and they they lead with pretty much you know what happens. if you watch the trailer to this movie you pretty much know what's going to happen yeah um so it's kind of cool that it's another movie that does that where you know how it's going to end up and that almost creates more tension through the journey of it because yeah. it's like when are they going to do it and when they they set that in a in a long movie which that was one of your complaints is this, this was a long movie i feel like it's almost it, and ari aster likes to to twist your emotions and mess with you so i feel like that's intentional and i, and I like it he tells you the entire movie literally the opening scene is a painting right. and it tells you the entire movie and then as they get to harga they walk you by tapestries that t- that gives you christian's entire fate with maya they go into the bunkhouse all the paintings on the wall i mean you can just pause the movie and it just lays out he gives it away not just in the trailer but then throughout the entire film and i still loved it it's, it's bizarre yeah that bothered me the first time like you know every single thing that's going to happen. There's no questions about anything whatsoever. But now, you know, having having that behind me and knowing even more the second time, I was able to enjoy it more. And I do think that that's kind of a, a cool way to, to lay it out. It's different. One of the best face-on-face scenes <laughs> in this movie. Uh, we get a lot of face-on-face. Uh, what that is is uh, it's not like face-off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe it is kind of like that, but you tear someone's face off and you wear it as your face. And it, it, he did a really good job in this because at first you're like, oh, uh, it's the homie. Wait there a minute. He is. Yeah. And then, wait a minute. That no, oh. that's someone else with his face on. Trent, did you miss it? Was that Pele? Did you miss that? No, that wasn't. Yeah. When he was looking at the book he wasn't supposed is to look at and the so- guy comes in. Yeah, no, that was. Someone oh. was wearing his Mark's face. face. So Mark does the typical like college bro thing and pisses out in the middle of the open and it just happens to be on their sacred tree. So that motherfucker got I, his. I missed the, I didn't I was wondering like why I guess that's Mark but his face looks so weird. The blinking underneath the eyes I, like the I eye didn't holes. Notice. Uh, see there's there's a lot uh, more than meets the eye. Sometimes good to say. <laughs> Kevin, you said um, Pele might have been a protagonist. I think Pele is... is Pell. I call him Pele. Um, I think he's more, uh, more of a villain, and he really reminded oh, me... Oh, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant antagonist. I'm sorry. I meant antagonist. Oh, antagonist. Yes. Okay. okay. That's, I thought that was kind of sorry. a weird take. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That would be way off base. He, you he, are right. is, he is like a classic antagonist in real life. I have known Pele. Pele is the guy... You don't want to meet when you get to this goddamn commune that you've been dragged to or something like, oh, they're like, oh, just like very free out there. I love Pele. He's so great. You know, you're like, I don't know, this Pele guy, like what, what's, what's this like? Uh, he believes in like communication, like free love, and he's just so attuned to everything. And, you know, you get sick of hearing about this Pele guy before you even get there. And then you got to meet him. He's like real smarmy and friendly. He's giving your girlfriend drugs the whole time. And then next thing you know... <laughs> He's holding her hand in the barn. <laughs> Do you feel held, Danny? I got Pele's oh. number. I got Pele's number all day long. <laughs> when I say that. This movie reminded me that uh, I, I thought that I was numb uh, to being scared of crazy white people because we live in New England. Uh. 
and especially New England is is the scariest, uh, you know, white people because <laughs> Stephen King sets every movie up here. Anything that's very, very, uh, any culture that I don't understand, the more ignorant I am of that culture, uh, at least in the context of horror movies, it scares me more because uh, I, you know, I don't know this this tradition goes back. The last one they had was like 90 years before this. So part of it, I'm kind of like, oh, it's only once every 90 years. Well, it's not so bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Nine, nine people. Yeah. Yeah, you know I mean, I, I, like, like jump off yeah. the cliff, murder the guy. No. It's not like they do this every weekend. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a special occasion. It's tradition. It didn't seem, you know, as far as like weird northeastern white people stuff, I, I found it fairly relatable. Like this could be, like I was just saying, like the some place in New Gloucester I got to go to this weekend. And, you know, it's on the river. And, you know, this is probably what's going to happen. Maybe, if you're lucky. You could spend days just researching the runes on everybody's robes, looking at the shape of the dining table, um, noticing that Christian's drink is a little bit different color than everybody else's at the table during his final dinner. There's just a million things to pick up on here. So I think this movie will eventually be cult status there will be a ton of theories and different takes on it and i appreciate that uh, a lot especially for a two and a half hour movie that i'm not always a fan of, of sitting through a movie that long but i watched this about four times leading up to this episode because i love it uh i really liked what was it simon uh what was simon's girlfriend's name connie, connie. Simon and Connie. Yeah, when that whole thing happens, I, I really liked how they, they very slowly lay out where people start going missing. Maybe things aren't, aren't you know, going the right way here. But I really liked how uh, after everyone's eating at the table, they're talking about what happened with Simon and Connie. Danny says to Christian, I could see you possibly doing that. As again, mm -hmm. one of the very, like, <laughs> real life moments that I've, I've said it, I've heard it. I mean, I, you know, I've been on <laughs> both sides of that conversation multiple times. Very realistic. Almost, almost as good as when he's trying to give her that piece of bullshit cake oh. for her birthday and oh. he can't get the candle lit. Like, I, in a horror movie, for that to be one of the most tense moments is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was just like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> you cannot even get that candle lit, you dick. There's, you didn't think I'd forget that. your birthday, did you? <laughs> Fuck you, Christian. What I noticed on multiple watches was uh, for such a natural looking organic movie, uh, there's some sort of CGI in most of the scenes. If you look close enough uh, and it's just like subtle leaves moving a little more than they normally would, like the wind is blowing some objects around and others not. And it creates this really weird, like, depth perception disorientation um, that was one of my favorite techniques. I've never seen that before. It's probably scenes in this movie are the closest depiction of what it's like to be on drugs. So he, he did use some CGI to turn some of the backdrops into faces of members of her family during certain scenes. There's one that's brilliant where the entire like forest behind her is her sister with the tube affixed to her mouth uh, in the background. I saw that and I had to pause it. I was like, what the f- oh. Like, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all very, like, 
bringing drugs back in because that is our theme of the week it's very like i was i would think that all the the drugs that they're mostly doing i think here are mushrooms they start doing mushrooms in the beginning then they do them again later but then there's like weird like that dust that gets blown so it's like there's different kind of drugs but i think there's a number but mushrooms i think are the most, are the one that I most recognized, especially with all the moving of everything. Like that's very, you know, I've seen that before. Bro, I forgot our sponsor. I had a sponsor for tonight. I hung out with our good friend Spose uh, and Pedank Farms gave me some uh, pineapple skunk and I was supposed to shout them out on the episode. And for some reason, I can't put my finger on it, but I forgot. Oh. I don't even remember what I was talking about. Um, Pedank Farms. Well, thanks for sharing. Official sponsor of the drugs, the drugs episode. I'm sure it's good. Yeah. Sounds like a good sponsor for you. <laughs> I don't know. That's why like sponsoring the show that much. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even cracked this thing open yet. I mean, but you're talking Crack yourself it. out oh. of it right now. Well, I thought I, I thought this was a very realistic portrayal. Cat, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think one of the reasons that drugs are so prevalent in this film is that they I think what the, you know, the commune folk do is they kind of use that to make the visitors vulnerable. You know, you're going to be less apt to argue with someone if you're tripping kind of situation. Sure. So I felt that was a way to make them a little uneasier. I got that feeling, but I also was just wondering, too, is everybody just on drugs all the time in the entire movie? And is that just is it just for the midsummer celebration or is this community literally just on drugs all the time? I think they are. I, I got the feeling that they do they just all trip all the time. And I thought it was it was That's a pretty scary. realistic portrayal. I I would put Midsummer up there with things like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I thought had pretty realistic tripping portrayals. I thought I had a hallucination. It's just such a good movie. It's so good. I'm surprised you like it that. I feel like if we had picked it, you would be. Uh, well, it's it's, it's an emasculation. Listen. It's an emasculation fantasy. So of course, kind of like. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. Oh. About. <laughs>